Well, good morning, everybody. Georgia, you're way over there. You're supposed to be over here. You're messing me up. I don't know if I can preach, and I'm not sure she can listen with her sitting way over there. She's usually right there. Creatures are habit, are we not? Well, I thought we had great revival services. I thought it was well attended by both campuses. But we are one week removed from the starting of those meetings. One week ago, God's messenger, Gary Caldwell, stood in this pulpit and preached a message titled, How to Get the Most Out of Revival. And I think he done a swell job. The other four sermons, by challenging us and encouraging us. But more vital, according to Gary Caldwell, as I talked to him this morning, is what you preached this morning. In other words, what he was saying in pastor talk, the meetings are over. Will revival carry on? So last week we heard how to get the most out of revival. Today we hear how to stay in revival. And there's so many points, I must get started. If we're going to stay in revival, number one, we must stay prioritized. If you... And I are going to stay in revival. We must decide right now. I'm going to be a Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 Christian. Seek first, it says, the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Now listen to the rest of the verse. And all these things shall be added to you. All these things, couldn't one of them, Pastor Dave, be revival? In other words, if I put God first and His righteousness, one of the all things that I could experience is I could stay in the spirit of revival. Do you remember Brother Gary's four points of last week's sermon? How to get the most out of revival? If you don't, I'll remind you of them. Number one, he said, to get the most out of revival, we must renew our closeness to the Father. He said, number two, if we're going to get the most out of revival, we must renew our commitment to the faith. But he said, number three, if we're going to get the most out of revival, we've got to renew our consideration for the fellowship. And number four, he said, if we're going to get the most out of revival, we've got to renew our challenge for the future. That's how we was going to get the most out of this revival. So let me just take and put a little add on to that. If we want to stay in revival, 
We've got to stay close to the Father. We've got to stay committed to the faith. We've got to stay considerate of this, the fellowship, one another. And we've got to stay challenged by the future. That way we don't ever have to renew these things. We'll just make them a priority and we'll stay close to the Father, stay committed to the faith, stay considerate of one another, and stay challenged by the future here in these last days. So if we're going to stay in revival, number one, we've got to stay prioritized. But number two, if we're going to stay in revival, we've got to stay pure. Paul said to the church at Rome in chapter 12 and verse 9, Abhor what is evil, and listen to this, cling to what is good. Cling, in other words, to what is pure and what is right. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8, Blessed are the, here's the word, pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, you could take that to say, as the psalmist said, Who shall ascend to the hills? Who's going to get to the sweet by and by? He who has clean hands, a pure heart, and has not lifted his soul to another. But when Jesus was preaching that, let's take it in context, that wasn't what he was talking about. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And he wasn't speaking about the sweet by and by. If you keep a pure heart, you can see God working in your life and others as well. And you can see God in the now and nasty working in and through your life. See, the problem is we don't have revival and we can't stay in revival because we don't keep our lives pure of sin. I don't know why it is, but on my Facebook page, all of a sudden, I start getting posts from NBA news and videos. Now, I'll just tell you, since the NBA started their protest, I've not watched a game. I just don't like what they do. I don't like as a whole what they stand for. So all of a sudden, I don't know if Facebook realized, hey, Rob ain't watching the games. We better plug him on his Facebook. I don't know. But all of a sudden, this started coming over my page. And last week, I got one. And here's what it read right above a picture. And then I'll show you what the picture was of. My man, KD. That'd be Kevin Durant. 16 points, 8 rebounds, 7 assists. You ready for number 6? 6 give-a-Fs. 4 turns, or 5 turns, 4 changed teams, 3 personal fouls, Two middle fingers in game three versus the Celtics. And it was right above a picture of KD looking into the camera. Some of you will get more concerned about me using that gesture than you are the point I'm trying to make. Now, I don't respond much, Miss Terry, to Facebook, but I couldn't take that. And why I couldn't take that, when he played at Texas, he was questioned about his backpack and what's in it. And he said, there's one thing that's always in it. Do you know what that is? A Bible. 
So rather than just scrolling on by, I couldn't take it, Charlie. So I hit that comment. And behind all of that and that picture, I typed in, but carries a Bible in his backpack, exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. Then I typed in, He gives great occasion for our God to be blasphemed. When there's not purity in your life, you're just like David. That's scriptural. You give occasion for our God to be blasphemed. Exclamation mark, exclamation mark. And then I typed in... KD says he's a Christian. And he either needs to change his ways or change his name. That's what I typed in. It didn't get as many likes as the other 2.3 million responses. But folks, that's the problem. Why we're not experiencing revival is too many carry a Bible in their backpack, sit on a pew on Sunday, but when they're out there, they're sticking the middle fingers up, and if that's not the case, the cuss words are flying off their mouths. If we want to experience revival, we've got to keep purity in our lives. We cannot be what that Chinese proverb writer said, the problem with Christians is way too much talky, 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 and not near enough walky, walky, walky. Folks, our lips and our lives have to match up if we are going to stay in revival and people are going to see God in us and working in us. Number one, you want to stay in revival? Stay prioritized. Number two, stay pure. But number three, if you want to stay in revival, stay passionate. Now listen to what Paul said to the church at Rome. Listen to this, Romans 12, 11, Not to lag in diligence, but be fervent in spirit serving the Lord. In other words, have a little passion about serving the Lord. Don't be lagging in diligence. Do it with a smile on your face. Do it with... Do it. Do it with encouragement and zeal. You with me? And then he said to the church at Galatia, Galatia, listen to this. It is good to be zealous in a good thing always. You know what the Bible just said? You can have a little zeal here. You can have a little passion. It's a good thing. Now listen to how he ends that verse. And not only when I'm present with you. In other words... When I leave, you need to have the same zeal and the same passion that you had when I was there. You know what happens in revivals? We get evangelists that come in and they preach with excitement and they preach with fear. They preach, they, they preach with all kinds of zeal and passion. And you have that for Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. And then you get your old boring, monotone pastor back. And so we have these revival services and everybody gets fired up. Paul would come into churches and he was passionate and guess what would happen while he was there? 
the people in the pews would begin to feed off of his passion and his zeal. We got to be careful that we just don't feed off an evangelist or a pastor's passion. It's got to be our own passion. So Paul recognized that, so it made the book. The Holy Spirit recognized it. It made the book. When I'm there and preaching, you guys can get thrilled, but not filled. But when I leave, I still want you to be thrilled and filled. I see it when I'm there, Paul said, but when I leave, keep the passion. So I want you to listen to me. It ain't good enough for you to feed off my passion, Gary's passion. You have to have that passion. And Debo Sweeney said, it's all right to start out with emotions in the locker room. You're in the locker room this morning. But he said sometime between that first kickoff, sometime during those four quarters, Debo Sweeney, I think he's worth listening to, he said them emotions have to turn to passion. Because emotions won't work when the battle gets tough. Boy, I began to think about that statement. Can you imagine the emotions? Stay with me this morning. When Jesus left heaven. Think that over just a little bit. I mean, the angels, according to Isaiah, are all around the throne, singing, praising, lifting up the name of Jesus. And I'm just assuming, Dave, they don't know the plan of eternity past like God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And even though Jesus is sitting there just basking in the glory and the praise and the worship of the angels, He knows at some point God the Father is going to say, Son, it's time. You with me? And so unbeknown to the angels, maybe they hear it, Miss Pidge, I don't know. They hear God the Father say, Son, it's time. Maybe the angels turned around and said, Time for what? Time is nothing up here. What do you mean time? The fullness of time have come. I've got to send forth my son. Can you imagine the emotions of the Father, the Son? The Spirit, but can you imagine the emotions of the angels as Jesus left heaven? He left the locker room, folks. He's headed to the playing field. But somewhere along the way, those emotions of when He left heaven had to turn to a passion. Because when they was plucking His beard, emotions wasn't going to work. When they was pulling his hair and mocking him, emotions wasn't going to work. When they took the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and strung his hands on that whipping post, and barrel-chested Roman soldiers began to strike his body with the cat of nine tails 39 times. Emotion wasn't going to work. And when they got done with that, they loosed him. They throwed a cross over his shoulder that was beaten unrecognizable with nerves exposed. And with the help of another, he packed it up Golgotha's heel. And then 
They drove nails through his hands, his feet, the crown of thorns upon his brow, the spear in his side, knowing he's fixing to go to the depths of hell. Look up here and listen. Emotions wouldn't work. Because if it had all stayed emotions, I'll tell you what he would have done. Exactly what he said he could have done. And that's called 12 legions of angels to his side. And because of their emotion, I'm sure up in heaven when all of this was going on, God the Father's having to tell some emotional angels, Hold up, hold up. I guarantee you they look like Doc Holliday with their hands on their swords ready to come to the aid because they remember the emotional day that Jesus left. But let me tell you why he didn't call them to his side. His emotions had turned to passion and he was enduring the cross because if he endured that cross, guess what? He was going to get to restore you and I, sinful man, back to a holy God. Aren't you glad he didn't just have emotions? He had passion and that led to deep commitment. And so you want to stay in revival? Let me tell you something. Here in the locker room, don't just have an emotional hand clap. I'm not getting on to you. I think we ought to do that. But if that's all that was, let me tell you what. You're going to drive out. You're going to get in the real world. Death's going to come. Disease is going to come. And let me tell you, the battle is going to be on. And if you leave here with just some shallow emotions, guess what? You're not going to stay in revival. You better have some deep passion. For the things of God. If you're going to keep your hands to the plow and your nose to the grind. You want to stay in revival? I hope that answer is yes. Stay prioritized. Stay pure. Stay passionate. Number four. Stay praying. Stay praying. You know our Bible from front to back talks about the priority and the power of prayer. I mean James said the fervent. There's that passion in it. Prayer of a righteous. There's that purity in it. Man avails much. The Apostle Paul said to his young man, young son in the faith, Timothy, pray for all men at all times. He told the church at Thessalonica, pray without ceasing. Jesus said when it comes to prayer, men ought to always pray lest they lose heart, lest they faint. The reason we're not having and staying in revival is because we're not praying. We got fainting Christians and fainting churches instead of revived Christians and revived churches. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because there's a lack of prayer. Let me just tell you something. We have got to be a people of prayer. It's the greatest, one of the greatest weapons in our arsenal. And it's seldom used. Do you understand that? I don't. I got to thinking back in my high school days. Do you know Locust Grove High School was open campus? I got some classmates. How many of you used to walk to town? Ate that pizza down there, yeah. Walked to town. And, and strawberries and cream and DJs with the arcade. And you had to slip out into the hall some way if you wanted to get ahead of this big class of kids going down there, you had to slip out there. You had to be strategic to do this because you didn't have cell phones. There was a pay phone in the hallway. How many of you kids see pay phones in the hallways of your school now? 
So somehow, if you wanted to be at the front of that line and your food to be ready, if you didn't choose the buffet at the pizza place, you had to slip out strategically and call your order in at strawberries and cream. That meant you had to skip a little bit of class somehow. And people always ask me, how's your food always ready? I said, I'll never tell. I'd say, can you keep a secret? They'd say, yes. And I'd say, I can too. Why did I want my food called in? Why did I, because I wanted to get to them video games. And I think the video game was Asteroids. I may mis, misname this game, but this is what I think it is. And when you'd have, and I don't know, so many smart bombs or so many power bombs, and that button was right down here. And when it really got hectic, you could just hit that. And I mean, it just destroy everything on the screen, give you a little time to regroup before they, you with me? There's only one problem. I thought, well, this is easy. I'll just sit there and hit that, hit that, hit that. But for that quarter you put in there, you only got three of those. So you better use them correctly if you wanted RAP on the initials of high scores. Some of you kids don't have a clue, do you? So look here and listen to me. You had to use those strategically. It was your best weapon in the game. Because you hit it and bam. You got everything in the screen. You with me? The only problem is you just had three. Where are you getting that, preacher? We're not limited on our prayer. And it's the greatest weapon we got. When the enemy surrounds us, and he will and he does, let me tell you, it's not a button that you only have three times. It's something you can do 24-7, and it's your greatest arsenal in your weapons. Or the greatest weapon in your arsenal, is how a normal preacher would say it. But listen to me. Oswald Chambers says, Prayer is the answer to every problem there is. Don't always change the thing, but it could change you to go through the thing. So if we've got prayer, you know what that means? That means I never have to say there's nothing I can do. I don't care whose home I'm walking into where death and disease, whether it be cancer, whether it be a car wreck, whether it be death, you listening to me? As a pastor, I can, because of prayer, I never have to walk in there and say, there's nothing I can do. You know why? Because I can pray for that cancer. Because I can pray for that car wreck. I can pray for that death. So prayer, there's never time as we as Christians say, there's nothing I can do. Even your doctor, if he's a Christian, let me tell you what he might do. He might run out of medical ministry. But if he's a Christian and he's a praying man, guess what? There's nothing. He never has to say there's nothing I can do because he can always pray. You know what prayer does? We never have to say, well, that's impossible. Because when I pray, I'm praying to God. And my Bible says with man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. We want to stay in revival. We've got to stay in prayer. And then number five, I think, if anybody's counting. If we're going to stay in revival, we've got to stay proactive. I'm not talking about a face wash. I'm talking about we've got to stay proactive. 
In Matthew chapter 16, you remember Jesus asking His disciples, who do people say that I am? Remember their answer? Prophets, John the Baptist, Elijah. And there's what you need to understand. That's always going to turn personal. He asked them, who do men say that I am? And then it got real personal. Hey, I forget about that. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Don't ever forget that's going to get real personal. When it all comes down, the dust settles and the smoke clears, it's going to mount to, who do you say he is? And Peter answered that question. He says, you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because guess what? Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but the Spirit did. And he said, upon this rock, And he's not talking about Peter, even though his name means rock. Upon that statement, you know what the church is built on? He is the Christ. He is the Son of the living God. That's the foundation. And he said, upon that statement, I will build my church. And then what did he say? And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. But the problem is the church takes that in the wrong context. They think that means we come into our locker rooms and we just get in here and we just get on the defense. Let's just keep the wolf from huffing and puffing and blowing the doors down. Too many times we just get inside the church as Christians and we just go into a defensive mode. That is not the context of that Scripture. That Scripture is telling and Jesus is telling and they did exactly what Jesus told them. What did those twelve men do? They stormed the gates of hell. They turned the world upside down. They didn't just go shut themselves up in the upper room and just shut the door and say, oh, we just fight the enemy off. Uh Uh-uh, that's not what it means. We as Christians are to be proactive and we are to be storming the gates of hell. So, you know, last week I reminded you of a timeout when we was in the basketball tournament. And that timeout, that second timeout, was because our team had got lazy on offense. Our team was made up of mostly cutters and slicers and jumpers and slashers. Maybe one that would set up on the three-point when they all collapsed. That was our game. But all of a sudden, this team kind of draws back in the line, kind of clogs the lane up. Let's just make them hit the threes. And guess what? We fell right into their hand. We just got lazy and started shooting some threes. We hit a few of them. We should have been ahead 29 to nothing in about three minutes is what we should have been. But it's a close game. And finally, it dawned on me what was happening to us. We're getting lazy on offense. We're just simply taking what the defense have given us instead of making the defense take who and what we are. I would never be that coach that would go scout a team if I was a coach. And some of you say, that's why you're not a coach. I don't think teams ought to go scout a team and change their game to how that team is. I think a team ought to establish who they are, what they are, what they do, and go put and press that will upon the opposing team. That's just what I think. If I try to change who I am, I'm not going to be very good at it. I don't need to scout. I'm going to come in and do what we do. So listen to me. That time out was, listen we got to quit taking just what they're giving us and we got to start taking what we are and what we do from them. 
Folks, that's what I'm trying to preach to you as Christians. Sometimes we just lock ourselves up in the church and we just simply take what the devil gives us and I'm just going to tell you, he ain't going to give us much. We better get the laziness out and we better start taking to the enemy who and what God made us to be and that is to storm the gates of hell and to be offensive and proactive and go set the captives free. Amen. So we want to stay in revival. We got to stay proactive. Now, you guys are really going to think I'm contradictory, and I put this point next to that point on purpose just to see if you think that. Because I'm on point number six, aren't I? If we're going to stay in revival, right after I told you we've got to stay proactive, we've got to stay patient. Now, in that time out, I wasn't telling them to be, I wasn't telling them to be impatient. I was telling them, pass the ball, drive. And pretty soon, the defense is going to weaken. And when it does, we're going to go through the hole and we're going to score. There's a big difference in lazy and patience. Hadn't you ever watched any sports? Man, that running back, he is a patient running back. In other words, when he gets a handoff, there's a little hesitation. What's he waiting for, Brother Dave? He's waiting to see which hole opens. And when he sees a hole open, brother, he explodes through it. See, the Bible says Jesus shuts the door and nobody can open it. He opens it and no one can shut it. See, as Christians, we're supposed to be like that running back. We're supposed to be patient, proactive. I've got it. I know I'm supposed to be done. But which holes God? Which doors God opening? Patient, but when He opens it, we got to go. Amen? So patience is not contradicting proactive. We're never wasting our time when we wait on God. Are we? Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength and mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary and they shall walk and not faint. See, in the 12 and 22, we're going through men of the Bible and we're on David right now. And my big deal to the 12 and 22 in this discipleship group is, is when we look at these men, we talk about choices, strengths, and weaknesses. And I think we can learn a lot from other people's choices, strengths, and weaknesses. So you can see where I'm going with that in this discipleship group. And my big deal on choice is so many men and women of the Bible could have been victims. If they lived in our day and time, they'd be on some talk show telling people why they are. Well, I'm, well I'll tell you how I'm, I'm the reason I am is, is uh, my mom left me in a river in a boat when I was little. I never got over it. You know who I'm talking about? Can you just see a Moses on one of the talk shows tell, crying? My mama put me in a boat. I was raised by the Pharaoh's daughter. It's not my fault. Ain't what Moses done. So David. Can you just see David on one of them talk shows? <laughs> The reason I am the way I am is Samuel told my daddy <laughs> to bring his boys. One of them was good anointed king and he took all the boys and left me at home. <laughs> he thought I was a runt. <laughs> was David a victim? I give you that little piece. Because nobody in here ought to become a victim of their circumstances. 
So they had to go back and get David because he wasn't a victim. He was a victor. And he gets anointed king. Do you know how long it was from the time he got anointed king till he got to the throne? Well, the answer is you don't know because we don't know. But the answer is probably between 15 and 20 years. He got a promise from God, anointed as king, but he had to be patient and had to wait on that throne. Has anybody ever got a word from God, a promise from God, and run out of patience and took it upon themselves and it caused a mess? Well, there's one in the Bible. Remember a promise he made to Abraham? You're going to be the father of many nations. He got to looking at his wife after several years after that promise. He got to looking at her and he thought, oh, my gosh. Menopause is a long time past us. Her womb's drier than a pond in August. And he's thinking this. And, and wives can usually read what husbands are thinking. And so she goes over there. This is in your Bible. Who's that guy that told us that day? This is in your Bible. I'm not making this up. And so Sarah goes to him. She can probably sense that he's thinking this and says, Look, I know God promised you, but look here. You know I've went through this change of life. You've seen the hot flashes. You've seen the... Now, that's not in the Bible. but And so look. Look there at your maid. How much younger, how much prettier. Go into her. Man, I want everybody to look up here. Even if your wife tells you go into another woman, the Word of God says that's adultery. And here's a problem. Sometimes our spouses are the ones that guide us down the wrong path if we're not careful. All I'm saying is no matter what your spouse says, you better make sure it lines up with us at the Word of God. So he didn't wait on the promise. He wasn't patient. Did that have some consequences? We're dealing with them this very moment in the Middle East. Yes, they had consequences. You want to stay in revival? Stay patient. God gives you a word. God gives you a promise. Patiently wait, and when the door opens, bam, get through the hole. And all God's people ought to be saying amen and amen. Am I at number seven or eight? If we're going to stay in revival, we've got to stay prideless. When I say prideless, I'm talking about what Peter said. You, when we get up every Sunday for church and we're trying to decide what to wear, let me tell you what you put on before you put any physical clothes on. You ready? According to Peter, you put on humility. And then he tells you why you do it. He said, because God resists the proud. You don't put on humility before you come to a church service. Guess what? God's done resisted you. But he gives grace to the humble. So we're talking about staying in revival. So if I'm full of pride, I'm going to be resisted by God. And some people think that you can have revival because you can work it up and you can do it on your own. Let me tell you how you as an individual are going to have revival. Let me tell you how we as a church are going to have revival. Are you ready? It's pretty profound. By the grace of God. 
And if we want the grace of God according to the words of Peter, we got to be clothed with humility and we got to get the pride out. I told the second service when Gary said, why do you guys keep having me back? I said, because I don't have time to babysit evangelists. I said, we quit using Marty because he's too high maintenance. I got to feed him breakfast. I got to feed him lunch. He'll want a flank and tie. He'll want me to go eat afterwards. And I said, we just quit having him. I don't care how well he can preach. I don't have time to babysit the, the dude. So you just seem to make it pretty good. I only eat with you one time this whole week. And if, and if we can narrow that down to where I don't even have to eat with you at all, you could come back next year. We could sign you up right now. I only had the opportunity to have dinner with Gary Caldwell one night, and it was after the Sunday night crowd. And we were sitting there at the rib crib in Tahlequah, and we was eating, and he said, You know, Rob, buddy, he said, I woke up in the middle of the night. And he said, In the middle of the night, I just thought, Lord, You've took exciting southeast from 14 people to two campuses and there wasn't no room in that tent. What a work Rob is doing. And then he said, and I don't say that to build you up. Good mentors will always stop and say, I say that because you ought to be thankful for what God has done these past 19 years. I want to let everybody within the sound of my voice in on something. We are not the first church to have huge outreaches, see people saved. We're not the first church to have amazing Bible schools and youth and kids camp. Are you listening to me? We're not the first church to build two buildings debt-free. We're not. We're not the first church to, to, to go from 12 or 14 or 2 or 3 gathering in a storefront or a home to huge numbers, we're not. And a lot of those churches that's been there this very day don't have enough power of God to blow the fuzz off a Georgia peach in their services or in their lives. You want me to tell you why? They got big-headed. They thought that that church and those outreaches and those buildings was all because of them. It takes people to do it. But we better understand, without God, we can do nothing. Lest we become like that peckerwood. You say, what peckerwood? That peckerwood that pecked and pecked and pecked and pecked on that tree. And he had a little bitty hole and he pecked and he pecked and he pecked on that tree. And his hole wasn't much bigger. And then all of a sudden God sent a big old wind and blew the tree down. And that pecker wood flew over to the branch of a tree beside it and stuck his old chest out. And he said, look what I've done. What are you getting at, preacher? Sometimes the church grows, glows, and goes for the cause of Christ. And stick their chest out and their chin up and say, look what we've done. Folks, we can do nothing without the winds of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Scripture blowing across our lives. And all God's people ought to be saying, amen and amen.
It'll be by the grace of God, so we don't need to take any pride in what's going on. And then the next point, I'm going to quit asking the numbers. We better, if we're going to stay in revival, stay purposeful. Now, I want you to really listen to this point. When I say stay purposeful, you need to know your part. You need to know your purpose. You need to know your niche in the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 12, says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all members of that one body, being many, are one body. A team is many team members, but it's one team. Saying the same thing. So also in Christ, by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew, whether Greek, whether slave, whether free, all have been made to drink into one spirit. We're on, on one team. He says, for in fact, for in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Now watch what he says in verse 15. You can go read this. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? Do you have any kind of imagination here this morning? Let me just make that verse come alive to you. Hey, hand. Hey, hand. (laughs) I'm not a hand. Therefore, I'm not part of the body. Sanctified imagination. (laughs) Hey, hand. I'm not part of the body. Therefore, is the foot not part of the body? And if the ear should say to the eye, (laughs) the eye, I'm not an eye. It says it in the Scripture. Therefore, am I not part of the body? You laugh and you chuckle at that. But I hear it all the time. I just can't talk to people like he can. Am I not part of the body? Same difference, folks. The foot's a foot because that Scripture said God set the foot where the foot is. Every one of us has a part and a purpose. If we was all an eye, where would be the hearing? Where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in that body as He pleased. If we want to stay in revival and we want to keep doing great things for the cause of God, the kingdom of God, and the glory of God, you better figure out your purpose. You better figure out your niche. And you better put your hands to the plow. And you better put your nose to the grind. And you better quit believing the lie that changing dirty diapers and holding crying kids is not important because I know for a fact there's been kids that's been crying and diapers that's been dirty and because somebody was willing and that was their niche in the body of Christ, there was a mama and a daddy out here listening to the preaching of the Word of God and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God and they were saved, born again and it never would have happened if that baby wasn't being babysitted in the nursery by you. Quit saying your job is not important when we cook we bring people in here to feed them your job is important and you need to quit looking at other parts of the body and whining because I can't preach because I can't teach Find what your part is and do it. And there's never been a better example of this week's revival. We fed bunches and bukus of people. We parked people. 
the services at Easter down there. There was communion served. There was kids' church up in the house. Are you listening to me? Do you think for one half of one second, one man, a preacher, two mans, an associate pastor could pull that stuff off? I'm telling you, if you believe that, you've got some serious problems. It takes a whole body of believers doing their part to see souls saved and a body of Christ edified. And if we're going to stay in revival, we've got to figure out our purpose and be purposeful in the body of Christ. Got kind of quiet there. What's your purpose? What's your part? Number nine, and I'm already through. Who would have thought a man could have preached nine points and still had seven minutes before noon? Oh, I ain't preached the ninth one, so that don't count. Going to stay in revival? Stay persistent. Steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. This is one of the most alarming verses. I say it often. Anybody having put their hands to the plow looking back is not fit for the kingdom. Folks, that's an alarming verse if you've served and now you're not. That's an alarming verse. I want to remind you of 2 Samuel chapter 23 and verse 9. After him, that was one of David's great men, was Eleazar. One of three mighty men with David when they defiled the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. Now, I want you to listen to this. And I'm going to try my best to get you to... Put yourself in Eleazar's shoes right here. And the men of Israel had retreated. You're in a battle. And all of a sudden you're fighting more soldiers than you ever thought. And you begin to look around. And every other soldier's retreated. Can you get there? Can you imagine being in a battle like that? And all of a sudden this battle gets tougher and it gets harder. And you're wondering why. And you glance over your shoulder. You can't do much but glance. You're in a battle. And every other soldier has retreated. Best I can do is just tell you, become an Eleazar this morning and pretend you was the only person. You ain't got nobody to look over your shoulder to. You're the one person sitting in here. I know Rob's going to preach and I don't care if anybody else comes. I'm going to be sitting there to listen to what God has to say. Picture yourself as the only one here. Eleazar was in a battle and everybody else left. That's what the Scriptures say. Everybody else retreated. What are you going to do when everybody else retreated? Read this verse. He arose. He arose. We have to, if we're going to stay in revival, decide if everybody else retreats, I'm going to rise. Now watch what he does when he rises. And he attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary. You ever done something, worked out or worked on something until your hand, your arm... Is just burning so bad you can't hardly lift it. That's him. And his hand, listen to this, stuck to the sword. But listen to this. The Lord brought great victory that day. Don't ever forget the battle's the Lord's. He just needs somebody's hand to stick to the sword. Can you imagine being in that fight that day? Everybody else left. 
and you're swinging the sword and your arm's getting so tired and so weary and the Lord knows all things. And maybe it was the last time that he was even going to be able to lift it. And God says, it's time. And he speaks, and the Lord brought great victory that day. So, Dusty, if O-E-L-E-A-Z-R is anything like us, he's going to limp over, and he is going to be wore out. And if that arm's weary and he's anything like us, he's going to, I'm going to get rid of this sword. And he opened his hand to put the sword down. But what did the Bible say? Well, Eleazar must have got up and went, I'm weary. I'm tired. But it stuck. There's your sword. And we live in a world that tells us it's outdated. It's not perfect. It's not inspired. And I'll tell you what this old cowboy preacher's decided. I don't care if I'm the only one, Miss Trudy. I'm going to keep a swinging it. I'm going to keep swinging it. I'm going to keep swinging it. Because there's where the power is. I don't want to just get the most out of revival. I want to stay in revival. Winston Churchill, you know him? One of the few that was willing to stand eyeball and eyeball, eyeball to eyeball, chest to chest, toe to toe with a guy by the name of Hitler, wasn't he? Anybody know Winston Churchill? He's the reason that the Nazis don't have dominion over us. Anybody know Winston Churchill? So why in the world would you want not to have a guy like that? Little pudgy guy with a cane and a top hat and a big cigar. Why would you not have a guy like that that was willing to stare Hitler down? Why would you not want to have him come and do your college commencement speech? Well, a college did. And when it was time, they was waiting for this long speech from this little chubby guy. He stepped up there. He hung his cane on the podium. He took his top hat off. He pulled that big cigar out of his mouth. And he said, never, never, never quit. The shortest commencement speech that's ever been given. Don't you wish that had been the sermon today? Well, that's how I'm ending it. As Christians, we've got to decide never, never, never quit. Well, you know, I really had a time, David. Deciding how to preach this message. I knew it was the message, but how was I going to preach it? What do you mean, preacher? Was I going to preach it in the positive or the negative? 
Do you realize every sermon I preach, I've got a choice. I can either come from it from a negative way or I can come with a positive way. Well, how would you preach that in a negative way? Well, I would have referred to the signs that some of you saw and some of you missed on the tent Wednesday evening. What was those signs? It was Smokey Bear, man. And Smokey Bear was pointing at you. And he said, only you, talking to Christians, can prevent revival. You know, when you go to the forest, he's there and he says, only you can prevent forest fires. But we had the signs, Dave, Harold, somebody put them up and it was Smokey Bear and he said, only you can prevent revival. So I had to decide, now am I going to take Smokey Bear and am I going to preach this sermon in the negative? Or am I going to leave Smokey Bear out of this thing and preach it in the positive? So had it been preached in the negative, it would have been how to prevent revival. All you got to do to prevent revival is let there be a lack of priorities. All you got to do to prevent revival is let there be a lack of purity. All you got to do to prevent revival is let there be a lack of passion. All you got to do to prevent revival is let there be a lack of prayer. All you got to do to prevent revival is let there be a lack of proactive Christians. All you got to do to prevent revival is there's got to be a lack of patient Christians. All you got to do to prevent revival, there's got to be a lack of pridelessness. There's got to be a lack of humility. All you've got to do to prevent revival, there's got to be a lack of purpose in our life. All you got to do to prevent revival is there's got to be a lack of persistence. I could have preached it just as much in the negative as I did the positive. But you know why I decided to preach it in the positive? I'm going to let you decide if you're going to use it as a negative. Because you are the only one that can prevent revival. And that's going to be because there's a lack of priority. Purity, passion, prayer. So, as a preacher, I'm getting tired of whether to pick the positive or negative. I'm just going to start picking the positive and let you guys figure out if you're going to let it be a negative. So, you want to stay in revival? If you do, you're the only one that can Let's all stand. Their heads are bowed. Their eyes are closed. Some of you has not been as persistent, purposeful, patient, proactive, prayerful, passionate, pure, and prioritized as you ought to be. The revival revealed it this week. And today would be a great day to come and commit to staying prioritized, staying pure, staying passionate, staying prayerful, staying proactive, staying patient, staying purposeful, 
and staying persistent. Christians, these altars are open. You can come as quick as now. But if you're here today, I want you to listen to me, and I want you to listen to me close. The first thing that you have to do to experience and to stay in revival is you've got to get saved. If you're not sure that you're saved here today, that's priority. If you've been saved and you've never let anybody know that you're saved, that's priority. There's no secret service agents in the church. So, Father, my prayer is that we as exciting Southeast Christians would want to stay in revival and we'd decide not to be a negative and there would not be a lack of these things in our life, but rather there'd be a steadfast commitment to these things that was preached from your word today. But my prayer is if there's someone here, a man, a woman, a boy or girl that's never been saved today, that'd be priority. And you let us show you how to do that according to the scriptures. Father, have your way in the hearts of us, your people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.